Welcome, everybody, to the Be Kind Podcast, part of the Animal Advocates' mission to create a more compassionate world for all living creatures, whether or not they're taking a one-month break, a two-month break, or even a three-month break from podcasting. All creatures and all podcasters deserve to be loved, and thank you so much for coming back to the Be Kind Podcast after her three-month hiatus. We're super stoked to be back, and we're going to have lots of great ideas and episodes coming up. And the first of those episodes coming up is with Rissa Miller from the newly rebranded Vegan Journal. So, Rissa, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Joe. It's a pleasure to be with you. So, for anyone who doesn't know you or missed the last episode, do you want to give us a bird's eye view of who Rissa Miller is and what you're all about? Sure. So today I, I'm mostly here talking to you about the Vegan Journal. I am the senior editor. I started in that position in 2018. And it was not the Vegan Journal then, though. It was the Vegetarian Journal. In fact, it has been the Vegetarian Journal for the past 40 years, which is pretty cool. But now it is, as far as we know, the only nationally distributed magazine in the United States with the word vegan in the masthead wow so yeah that's amazing yeah. so yeah it's super exciting to be part of that um, i myself have been vegan for 27 years so the journals got me beat but that's okay so yeah i do lots of other vegan activities and things and activism but my main role right now is as the senior editor of the vegan journal for the vegetarian resource group based out of baltimore maryland can you give us a little sneak peek behind the curtain of the conversations that surrounded the rebrand? <laughs> so the content of the journal has been vegan, entirely vegan for more than 30 years. And that said, there was a lot of hesitation and concern for many of those years that the word vegan was not well known, that it was unapproachable or that people weren't ready for it yet. And when I started in 2018, I, I said, you know, we're, we're ready, you know, everybody's here, you know, you even have people like Beyonce on board with the concept of vegan. It's mainstream. But uh, we are operated as a nonprofit, 501c3, and uh, it took a little bit of time for the transition to happen. You know, we had to pass it through a board and, you know, think about everything that it would entail to legally change the name of a magazine that's already existed for 40 years. It's a lot. It's changing the whole identity of a magazine. We also, you know, we entertain the idea like what? What would it mean for our readers? What would it mean for subscribers? We, we aren't supported by advertising. We are only supported by subscriptions and memberships to the nonprofit. So it was a big deal to go out on this limb. And yet, I think everybody involved at this point is fully on board and really ready to embrace the new identity of the magazine. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's a amazing sign of the times that now vegan is the new vegetarian almost and then vegetarian yes. is i don't know what would that make vegetarianism a, a great transitionary spot yeah there we go yeah, absolutely here we, I, I wanted to show you here's some of the old vegetarian journals oh. that i worked on and i mean like i said the content was already all vegan and now it's just it's just got the proper proper label on the front 
and less letters. So that is less work and cheaper. So saving money every time you write the name. <laughs> More room for content. There we go. I think an interesting thing to consider is the magazine's been around for over 40 years. And 40 years ago, the internet was not a thing. So we take that for granted now that when you want to go vegan, all I got to do is Google vegan options at White Castle, vegan shoes, vegan restaurants near me, vegan meetups. And so back 40 years ago, I'm guessing this magazine played a very large role in many people's lives. Can you kind of talk about the vision for the magazine and how it got started? Sure. So obviously, I wasn't part of it back then. I I was uh, back in 1982. I would have been seven. (laughs) I was not on the team yet, but I can tell you that it started as a photocopied newsletter called Baltimore Vegetarians. It was distributed by hand around Baltimore. It was a really local grassroots kind of thing. The first issue had uh, recipes for homemade ketchup, spinach with mushrooms, and I think sweet potatoes and apples, maybe a nut loaf. Vegan cooking definitely was not what it is today. Food science and creative chefs have changed everything. But in the interim, it basically started very small and grew quickly. And I think that the founders were incredibly surprised to find that people outside of Baltimore started subscribing and wanting copies of the Baltimore Vegetarian Newsletter. I think it was in 1990 that they actually converted it to a magazine format and made it into a real magazine like you know you would pick up they used to be available in barnes and noble and independent health food stores but just recently a lot of that changed and the magazine industry has become a lot more expensive so now we are only available through subscription you know basically if you have a vision for something and you start um you just have to keep going really and what kind of articles you already mentioned that there's a lot of food and recipe articles in there but there's so much more to veganism than just food. What kind of other pieces do you have in the publication? So the whole backbone of the Vegetarian Resource Group and the Vegan Journal is solid science. And every single issue we have, I want to open and, and show the camera, several pieces that are entirely about science. So here's one about anemia in runners. And it's written by Dr. Reed Mangles. She has she's an RD and a PhD. And she's one of the regular contributors to the magazine. She's understatement. She's extremely knowledgeable. And then we also have the scientific update that appears in every single one of the magazines. It is full of recent quick bites from scientific articles. And the other thing we do is we, we run a lot of science pieces. And I'm looking for one specifically. Oh, here's a good one. There is cholesterol in some plants. Surprise. Interesting. <laughs> you might have guessed the corn is one of them from the picture. But there are minuscule amounts of cholesterol in some plants, including corns. Uh, we did some really great pieces in the past year, including about how CAFOs and the confined feeding operations can contribute to pandemic situations, as well as wet markets contributing to the pandemic that happened. And, uh, we also regularly run these huge surveys. The surveys are really useful to restaurants, dietitians, hospitals, as far as figuring out how much vegetarian and vegan 
food is in demand. And, you know, spoiler alert, it's definitely on the rise. We break it down by region of the country, by age group, by other demographics as well. We run these surveys regularly. So it becomes a great indicator of, of how things are going for veganism and vegetarianism in the United States. We do other articles too. We regularly do product reviews and all different kinds of vegan products. Lots of food. There's things in here. There's, this particular issue even has candles and dog food, beauty products, all kinds of other stuff. We also always run things about our scholarship and essay winners. That's what I wanted to talk a, about. I yeah, to... it's a really cool thing that the Vegetarian Resource Group does every year. They give away a lot of money to students. Could you tell us a little bit about these young people and working with these scholarship recipients? Because it sounds super cliche, but the youth and the next generation is the future. And in order to have a vegan future, we need to make sure that the people who are part of that future are vegan. So I imagine you have a lot of inspirational stories and tear jerkers and just things that really give you faith for the vegan movement and the world in general. Well, you know... They've been running the essay contest for a lot of years, and the main essay contest has three prizes every year. One is a $10,000 scholarship, and then there are two $5,000 scholarships. Each one of those is enough to, to change your life, basically. I have to say, it's, it's amazing how many entries come in, the amount of effort that go into them, and the phenomenal things and creative ways that young people are going about their activism in their communities, in their high school, in their cities even, and just the kind of boots on the ground approach that a lot of these kids take to, you know, finding their way, finding their identity as vegans in their communities is incredible. We also have a middle grade um, essay contest that we, we sponsor. The, you know, this is one of the winners of that. And they have a video scholarship as well. Students can submit videos they've made about their vegan activism or why they went vegan. And some of them have been really fascinating. Um, they aren't all the entry points that you normally expect. I think one of our recent winter winners was a fashion student who said that fast fashion is what inspired her veganism when she saw how wasteful and destructive the fashion industry was for animals. So it is really incredible the perspectives that kids come at it from a lot of them are concerned about the environment after all after all of us are gone they have to live on this planet so they're concerned about the resources that will still be available for them to live it's good to know that the generation coming along behind all of us is aware of these concerns and is doing something about them yeah that is Really interesting that fast fashion was the, usually the fashion clothing aspect comes way after someone comes being where they start going, oh, just eat, stop eating animals and all that. And then they start thinking, well, wait a minute, my shoes and belt and all that. But that's so fascinating. It is. And it, it just sort of shows you that um, there are people with different levels of awareness and that we have every reason to have faith that they're going to make it better. So going back to the history of the magazine, is there a way to actually look at the old issues? <laughs> a lot of them are archived online. I don't know that they're archived online going all the way back to 1982, but many of them are archived online. And it's kind of fun to see the way that the 
The design has changed. The fonts have changed. Cooking styles have changed. It's just historically the way the vegan movement has progressed. That's awesome. And do you do any work with your professional career as a publicist or writer or some of your freelance work with non-vegan institutions or organizations? And if so, how does that differ from what you do with the vegan journal? I don't, actually. Now, uh, as a photographer over the years, as a commercial photographer, I would definitely say I've had non-vegan clients. It doesn't usually come up in a headshot. Well, that's awesome. And even as a writer, I would say when I do freelance writing, it's mostly fiction or things like, you know, that aren't necessarily of a journalistic nature. So not so much. My life is really vegan now. (laughs) Well, let's talk about that for a bit. How is it living a life where basically day in and day out, you get to live in a lifestyle that aligns with your ethics and values professionally and personally? (laughs) It's pretty nice. It hasn't always been that way. You know, John's heard me tell this story before, but I used to work at another publication where I was one of very few uh, plant eaters, vegan or vegetarian, and I had colleagues that teased me mercilessly. I mean, cruelly, actually. They went to the trouble of making up pamphlets for people eating tasty animals and then said it was PETA, people eating tasty animals and would put it at my desk. They would leave fried chicken bones on my computer. So it it was not only unprofessional and incredibly rude, but it was targeted and cruel. And the HR department did pretty much nothing about it. So I have been there. In 27 years I've been vegan, I've, I've definitely seen the other side of what this can look like. And it's It's really lovely. Um, When I used to work in the office, I work remotely now. But when I used to work in the office at VRG, this is going to sound funny, but the microwave never smelled like meat. It was just such a nice, subtle difference. Anybody who can find their way to that space professionally, I, I say go for it. Yeah, those little things like you don't have to cringe every time you're eating lunch with your coworkers or... Like you said, lunchtime isn't the worst smelling time ever. And just being able to be your authentic self and not have to put your values at the door when you walk into the office must be so liberating. So kudos to you for navigating that. I I think it's important to remember to approach your pre-vegan colleagues with the compassion that is necessary to make veganism accessible. It's so easy to get that stuck in your in your mind or you're even in your gut and you're, you know, you're smelling their lunch cook and you're thinking about that poor animal that's being cooked in the microwave. But remember, that's where they are, the, the human. That's where they are. And if you make them feel bad, you're not going to encourage them to move in another direction. They're going to make them feel more stuck. Even when I was being teased mercilessly, I tried to remember that obviously the problem was theirs. And, you know, I wasn't, by reacting, I wouldn't have made things better for myself or them. So I just kind of kept doing what I do. And sooner or later, I don't know if they got bored or other people told them to stop, but it just sort of stopped. Just approach your pre-vegan colleagues and friends with the compassion that will help spread a positive message about veganism and it will be better for all of us. 
And I imagine in those kind of situations, there's lots of resources you could share with people, one of which might be the Vegan Journal. But that leads me to my next question is, who exactly is the Vegan Journal written for? Is it non-vegans looking to go vegan, vegetarians looking to go vegan, already vegan kind of people? We try to make it accessible for anybody who likes food. <laughs> That's kind of how we approach all of our recipe pieces and all of our writing. We want it to be that anybody could pick up this publication and find something that would be useful to them. We think about, you know, obviously, this headline is for, you know, families with kids, but you don't have to have kids to enjoy donuts. I mean, right? It's basically for anybody who likes food. And one of my jobs is I get to test all the recipes recipes that go through here. So I know what everything tastes like. And I, I can tell you for sure that like, you know, these nachos were fantastic. And you don't have to be vegan to love a giant plate of nachos. I mean, this picture is kind of more like a trough. You know, that said, like, this is an article about Spanish language websites for people who are into fitness. We have book reviews for people who like to read. We review cookbooks, nonfiction books, vegan themed poetry books, children's books. So basically, it's, it's written for anybody who likes food. And whether you're vegan, vegetarian or not, there's something in there for you if you like eating. But uh, speaking of food, uh, so you do a YouTube channel that uh, it has a mix of things, but it's mostly food. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So last year, it was a new initiative for VRG to start putting some of our content on video. Um, I think in the past couple of years before that, they had tried a few videos and nothing consistently. So I started hosting a new to us YouTube channel. We select recipes that are really accessible, like chili fries. There was a, a tikka masala bowl and uh, blueberry French toast that you make overnight in the fridge. Just really delicious food that doesn't take a lot of equipment and is super easy to throw together for anyone. And again, you don't have to be vegan to love French toast. You don't have to be vegan to like chili fries for sure. All of the recipes are out there. They're posted both on the YouTube channel and on the VRG's blog. The VRG's website, I think, is probably one of the largest ever. <laughs> There's so many articles and recipes and resources available there that anybody who's interested in cooking something meatless in general is going to find options. And just out of curiosity, who is your videographer for these YouTube videos? It's John. Yeah. What? <laughs> I'm surprised. It's actually, it's actually, yeah, that's actually Victor. He's, he's, he's yeah. the guy. Victor's he's in charge. Like that, yeah. he's, he's, Victor's the creative director. <laughs> And I think it's Chef John, right? <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> he've also... You know, John, I don't have your magazine with me. Oh, uh, that's okay. But me neither. I... <laughs> I don't expect you to carry it around everywhere you go. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you know, I, I probably do have it in my file, but I only have limited room on my desk, so I only have these three with me. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. That was a fun project. I, I really enjoyed doing that. It was, it was a challenge. Yes, because... I, I think that the stuffed peppers with mac and cheese were a big hit. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, everything I made was made special for the magazine. Like it was a totally I had to like really come up with like new ideas and everything and that was that was a fun project cuz yeah. I I don't usually do a lot of like stuffed vegetables and stuff like that. I usually just kind of throw it together and there it is. So that was a challenge and it was fun and I loved doing it. <laughs> 
you know, having tried all those recipes, the eggplant was definitely the most elegant, the stuffed eggplant rolls. They were really beautiful on the plate and they felt like a fancy meal, even though they weren't. <laughs> they weren't a project to make at all. Right. I would honestly serve this pepper stuff with mac and cheese to anyone. And I did make that to take to a work day at one of the sanctuaries. And I chilled them and cut them into quarters. So they held together really well. And it was almost like the pepper was like a cracker that you could eat the cold mac and cheese off of. So it worked out really nicely. But, you know, my personal favorite. Oh, you know, and then to my writing group, we actually met in person, like, I think one time last year. Mm -hmm. And I I served them the um, deviled potatoes. And none of them are vegan except me. And they loved them. Nice. My personal favorite, though, was the tomato. I liked Mm. the tomato with the white beans. I thought it was refreshing and and light. It was my kind of food. Because, I mean, you know me, I... I eat mostly vegetables. Right. <laughs> so I I really loved that recipe and it was a fantastic like salad bite. Thank really. You. That was actually yeah. the, one of the easier ones for me to come up with. So I'm glad that and was it, a, it was super easy to put together. Yeah. You know, it, it was really a super, super quick one. I think that might have been I mean, the last that in a recipe. Everybody appreciates something that comes together quick but tastes great and looks appealing. So it was nice. a win. I think that was the last one I came up with for, uh, for that because there's five of them total. Mm-hmm. But I think that was I think that was the last one I came up with. I was like, oh man, I really got to come up with something. Uh... <laughs> and I just slapped it together, and yeah, that that was awesome. It came out really good. It just goes well, to you. show the variety of the recipes you have on there and how it kind of buys in from all these people in the community. And so, are you ever looking for contributors or articles or anything or recipes too? always it's lovely to have contributors and fresh ideas and different perspectives so i i definitely would love a diverse range of people to reach out to me with their recipes with their article ideas that would be great and we'll put a link to all this in the show notes because you are correct that your website is probably one of the most content rich websites i've ever seen basically anything they could think about related to veganism, it's on there somewhere. So it's always it is. And there's content. even an online restaurant guide, which covers the United States and a lot of Canada. It's updated every week. So that's pretty, it's a pretty big part of what some of the folks of VRG do is maintaining those, that, those resources. And I just have one or two more questions, but as someone who is deeply connected to the vegan news cycle, what's in, in the vegan movement, what's coming up, What's maybe some stories or things that might be breaking or kind of hot or bubbling to the surface that people haven't been hearing about? We've all heard about the vegan chicken nuggets at KFC. We all heard about the vegan origin roots and the wet markets in a pandemic. But what's maybe some kind of fringe story or something that might be on our radar soon that you could give our listeners a sneak peek into? So I'll give you two. The first story is the cooler one, and that is the new vegan leathers coming along. So forever, if you're vegan, you've either been wearing cloth or cork or polyurethane, which is plastic. And anybody who's ever bought vegan leather polyurethane, also called PU for short, um, knows that it cracks and it falls apart. And no matter how expensive it is, it's lucky to get a pair of shoes or a belt that lasts more than a year. And because it's plastic, polyurethane is not recyclable and is basically just landfill waste that will outlast us all. Now you, you can use cloth and cork, but They're not the best in the winter. They're also not the best for a lot of other activities like um, hiking and outdoors activities. But the new vegan leathers coming along 
are so cool. So these boots are made from Nopales cactus, which is prickly pear. They've grown sustainably in Mexico. Only the mature paddles are harvested. So the plants live their full eight years and they don't need any water or irrigation beyond rainwater. So it's actually good for the environment that these cactuses are growing on these uh, cactus farms. And they're making this absolutely incredible leather out of them. The other cool thing is that it's it's going to become more available. Right now, these, these are not. In fact, this company, Dominic and Dempsey, when I interviewed them for the magazine, they can barely keep these children's boots in stock. They made a, a woman's boot that sold out almost immediately. <laughs> the boots came with this cute storybook um, that's, got all kinds of fantastic vegan messages. Here's, here's some cows saying like, we don't need cows for our shoes anymore. I thought it was one of the most gorgeous put together things I've ever seen. And I haven't worn leather in a real long time, but I, if I could fit my, sh- my feet in these, <laughs> believe me, I would do it. Um, <laughs> I would totally do it. And I cannot wait to get my own pair of cactus leather boots. But it's not just cactus. The other things coming along in California, they have vertical farms growing mushrooms that they're making leather out of. That mushroom leather is being used by Mercedes-Benz for their new interiors, as well as high-end designers like Stella McCartney. Lululemon and Adidas are using both mushroom and cactus leather for some of their new product, sporting product lines, as well as there is pineapple, apple, they're using the leftover grapes from the wine industry to make leathers, um, flower petals, all kinds of plant materials are now being used to make sustainable, durable leather. The one thing I've got to tell you, I, I wish you guys could touch this. It's so durable. It doesn't feel like that crappy polyurethane. And apparently this wears for years. It actually molds to your foot and it takes on a patina like animal leather would as well. So, I mean, obviously I can't fit my feet in these, but the idea is with the children's shoe that it could be passed down to multiple kids and they could be used again. I think the other thing people are gonna be talking about is labeling on animal-free meats and dairy. I don't mean plant-based meats and dairy. I'm not talking about an impossible burger or tofutie cream cheese. I'm talking about the meats and dairy that are coming from animal cells. So this is something we're we're doing a lot of reporting and research on now. Basically, these things are already coming to market. They might be labeled as animal-free or even vegan because no animals were used in the making of them, but animal cell cultures were. So this is coming along. It's a very new field. We don't know a lot about it yet. I will say that I think that we're going to see some controversy, scuffling. Now, from an environmental point of view, it is fantastic. It is way better than factory farms. It is way better than CAFOs. It is lab-grown meat. It is lab-grown cultures that are used to make these products. So in terms of feeding a world, it is way more environmentally efficient. However, it's not vegan. It is from a product that was cultivated using animal cells. So from an ethical point of view, you still are eating an animal product. Now, from a health point of view, they're going to digest and react in your body 
just like animal products would from what we know so far, because they're still kind of new. A lot of research is yet to be done. This, like I said, it's so fresh that the data is just not out there yet. I think those are the two things then in the vegan world that, in my opinion, are going to be big. They're going to take over a lot. Also, I, I hear that a vegan chef beat Bobby Flay. I just want to put out there that I'm all for that. Well, I... <laughs> I'm resisting the urge to ask any questions that'll just open up a bag of gummy worms and take us down a rabbit hole on some of those. But one quick question that I swear I don't want to talk about. Well, I do want to talk about it for days, but I'm not going to because no one wants to listen to me talk about it for days. <laughs> is Are the cells that are taken from animals to make these cultured animal products, do that harm the animals? Or is it just a kind swab on the nostril of a goat? It was um, My understanding is that almost all of the ones being currently produced are taken from scrapings. Some of them were taken in the 90s and have been used that long. They have been recycling the same cells that many years. That's not across the board because, I mean, obviously, they're, they're, they've taken some fresh ones. They've taken some from uh, sea life. One animal cells can be taken to produce food for millions of people from these lab-grown meats and dairy products. So, like I said, environmentally, it's way better. Health-wise, mm, we don't know yet. They're digesting and uh, showing up nutritionally just like animal products would. And then that whole gray area with the ethics. And I'm sure that's where you have all the questions. I mean, for me personally, I, I could see applications where, you know, to feed an animal like Victor, this could be great. You know, you have an obligate carnivore like a cat or a ferret. And as a vegan, you want to feed them ethically. So what do you do? This could be an answer. But... When it comes to humans, I don't know. And like I said, we also don't have the data yet to know how it will affect long-term health. We just, we don't know. I don't know where I stand yet. And I don't yeah. need to know where I stand yet because it doesn't sound like it's too publicly accessible yet. Yeah. But then that begs the question, if it does become publicly accessible, to make it more publicly accessible, people who can get access to it have to endorse it to make sure it keeps growing and becomes more accessible. So in case it is the more ethically valid thing to do, then we might have to do it. Oh, gosh. Okay, I'm going to stop talking now before we dive down this rabbit hole. <laughs> I haven't personally drawn an opinion yet. Now, my opinion of the plant-based leathers is yes. I say yes. So if you have any listeners who have kids, these shoes are amazing. If, Like I said, if I could wear them, I would put them on <laughs> right now. But yeah, flipping back to the lab-grown meats and cheeses, I see both sides of the issue right now. Do I think it should be labeled vegan? No, I don't. I don't think it should bear that label. When I think vegan, I think plant food. Anything that is not from a plant is not vegan to me. But I mean, I'm just one person. You know, my opinion is one of millions. I guess my, where I fall is I think right now I'm not for it because it's not accessible enough where it can be an option for everybody. And it still has the glorification of animal products, animal flesh in it where it has to be dead animal flesh or it's not as good so we need to have this thing where that we all know that's not the case so right that's where i stand on it right now so john i'm, yeah. I'm kind of on the same page with that i, I agree I, and and like you said it's just you can't label it vegan because it is coming from an animal so 
Exactly. I, so, yeah, I mean, again, we'll <laughs> later in the future we'll see where they're at with it, but I will We will. We'll see where we'll see where the path leads um for both of these things, you know. Neither one of them is widely accessible, neither one of them is affordable for most people right now. Sorry, Victor. <laughs> but, you know, I think it will be interesting to see what the future brings both with the new leathers and with the lab grown, you know, the cell cultures. And when it does, and there is more info, I'm sure you can read all about it in the Vegan Journal. That's right. <laughs> well, we have been talking for quite some time, and I want to be respectful of your Sunday, Rissa. So do you have any final party words or anything you'd like listeners at home to really make sure they take away from this conversation? Anybody listening, if they're interested in subscribing... We would be super grateful for the support. And like I said, we take no advertisements so that we have full editorial control of the magazine. So anybody who wants to subscribe to consider doing that, um, you not only keep me in a job, but you keep this um, really pretty publication going out to thousands of people. And you also get to support young people on their journey with, you know, scholarships and essay contests. And that way they know that someone out there believes in them and is supporting their efforts for a vegan future. I guess that's really the, the takeaway. After 40 years, I, I'm super proud of the legacy of this and that I've gotten to be part of it. You're on the next journey or part of the adventure for the magazine. So they're super blessed to have you, Rissa, and we're super thankful you came on the podcast again. And thank you so much for all you do. Oh, thank you both for having me back. I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on and congratulations on being volunteer of the year for 2021 with Animal Advocates. Thank you both for <laughs> your believing in all my crazy ideas. I bring to Animal Advocates. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you and echo and ditto to the congratulations. And we will put links to hopefully most of the things that we talked about today, unless we forget. And if we do forget, just email us. We'll email it to you. But Wait for no worries. Lincoln Pashona. Once you have it all posted up, let me know and VRG can share it as well. Excellent. Nice. And thank you for watching, Mom and maybe Dad and one of my brothers. My mom watches these. So And Victor. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. And we will be back possibly next week at the next week after that at the last. We're back on again, baby. So Woo. have a fantastic rest of your weekend. We'll hopefully connect again soon. Bye. Bye. Podcast presented by the Animal Advocates of South Central Pennsylvania.